Hey everybody, what's up? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We have uh, an interview and an interview I'm really excited to share with you. Um, I'll just be honest, like when I did deep clean on the side, I was very selective of my time. So I would, you know, interview on podcasts, I would look after my clients, I would build out my courses and update content and material and that was basically it. I, I didn't have a lot of time to network and I would do a little bit of speaking, but um, but doing deep clean full time right now, uh, right now, more recently, you know, the last couple months, it's given me the opportunity to really start reaching out and start connecting with more people and speaking at more events. And it's just been fun. I've been able to take a lot more on. And that is how I met today's guest. His name is Ian Henderson. He's the, the founder of the Naked Truth Project. And he and I both shared at the uh, Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation, uh, which I think took place, um, you know, middle of July, something like that. And so I just reached out, said, hey, I love what you're doing. He had this really cool event coming up himself in September. And I said, why don't you come on to the podcast? We'll talk about it and you can promote it a little bit. It would be great to hear your story and all of that. So that is exactly what we did. And um, as far as origin stories go, you know, anybody who's in this space has an origin story and it's not as simple as like I always wanted to do this when I grew up. Uh, nobody wanted to do this when they grow up. Everybody had different ambitions but you know the circumstances of life and stuff bring you here and he has a very uh, profound story. I've never really heard anything like it and I think you're really going to be impacted by it. So um, so this is the interview and the other thing I'll just mention is that Ian is from the UK And I haven't actually talked about this on the podcast a ton, but I have such a special place in my heart for the UK. I I have a myriad of of British friends and English friends specifically. Um, But I think just beyond that, um, yeah, I I really long to see God do something there in in the culture around sexuality and pornography and all that. And um, and so we get into that a little bit here as well. So lots of fun. I know you're going to enjoy it. And without further ado, let me cue that music and let's get into this interview with Ian Henderson of the Naked Truth Project. Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. Well, I'm here with Ian Henderson from the Naked Truth Project. Ian, thanks so much for being here, man. Really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this is so fun. So, I mean, we were just chatting a little bit before we hit record and you're in the UK, you're in Manchester and here I am in Toronto. And as we talk more, um, our lives overlap way more than I think either of us would have guessed. It's a bit of a small world, isn't it? I know. I know. There's this big old bit of water between us, but uh yeah, there's quite a few similarities, I think, and not, not just only in relationships and connections that we share, but I was saying, I think Canadians and English are quite similar as well. I think our sense of humor, I think culturally, there's lots of similarities, actually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And we're, we're going to get into all of it, because I think uh, one thing that you offer that's quite unique from most of the guests is just uh, a perspective on what's going on in the UK. Um, and like you said, it's a big body of water. And sometimes... I know North American mentality is like we separate what we're doing over here. But I think when you talk about Western culture, uh, you know, Great Britain and, and a lot of parts of Europe as well all tie into some of the dynamics that are happening. And um, and so we'll, we'll get into all of that, Ian. But 
Um, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about who you are for starters and then what you do. You're a part of this organization, the Naked Truth Project, and you guys are doing a really, really cool thing, man. So just give us, give us the whole scoop here. Who are you and, and what's the Naked Truth Project all about? Sure. So um, as you say, I'm here in the UK, Manchester. Um, I'm married and got two teenage daughters. Uh, okay. we've, been, we've been living in Manchester for about 20 years. But if any of the listeners kind of know their, their English dialects and accents, they'll go, well, he doesn't sound like a Mancunian. Um, and, and you'd be right. So I'm kind of originally from London and Essex and around that sort of area. Um, cool. We originally, we actually moved up to Manchester to, to plant a church and, and do some kind of work around, around that whole area of mission and evangelism and that sort of thing. But in 2014, I, I uh, started Naked Truth. And appreciate that um, your audience is maybe a little bit more familiar with people kind of doing work around this issue of pornography. But I have to tell you, whenever I get my hair cut, it kind of stops the conversation dead when they ask me what I do, you know, and I say, yeah, well, I run a porn project. And then they kind of wonder what that's all about. Um, but uh, and it's true, you know, I didn't certainly didn't uh, sit down with my careers advisor at school and say my plan is when I'm 40 years old I'm going to kind of quit my job and and start a porn charity but um that's that's what happened um and Naked Truth uh we talk about trying to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of pornography so that's Mm. education and awareness work uh so we have teams who work in high schools for example um, delivering lessons. We probably do that to around 10,000 pupils a year. Uh, we'll work with parents trying to equip and, and educate them, but also working with churches as well, but also in more sort of mainstream culture, trying to look at things like legislation, uh, but also using the creative arts to start conversations about whether porn is actually a problem or not. Uh, you know, your average guy in in the uk probably doesn't think it is to be honest so Mm. one of the things we're doing is just trying to provoke and 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 prod them to think about that and so that's all our kind of open eye stuff and then for us free lives is recovery programs so much like yourself um we're running kind of programs just to help men and women walk through uh their their own struggles into freedom but also we offer support for partners and spouses of users as well and so we kind of have stuff around betrayal trauma and some of the other kind of issues that some partners can deal with uh so that they can find healing and help as well and yeah that's that's probably it in a nutshell (laughs) it's amazing man amazing and uh yeah you're right like it's it's a really niche space that we're in isn't it like Within it, we all kind of get it and it's easy to talk about. You don't have to explain the language or feel like you're going to be misunderstood. But um, it's a pretty small pond here. I think beyond it, it's uh, it's kind of a foreign work. Um, I want to ask a couple of questions about what you just shared. I think the first is, you, as you mentioned, you know, nobody sets out to do this kind of work usually at a young age. Um, sure. Generally, there's a story or there's something behind the scenes that compels them to do it. Uh, what was it for you, Ian? Why did you start this? Well, um, probably a a couple of things, really. So I always talk about two events that happened in 2007. Um, And one was a very public event that the whole world knew about. One was much more personal and private for for myself and my family. Um, 
So that, that private event was that my father was arrested for having images uh, or indecent images of children on his computer. And uh, wow. we had no idea. We had no idea that he'd, he'd uh, even had a, a porn um, addiction. That had been completely hidden for decades. Um, hmm. I think, to be honest, we... Um, we discovered that it was perhaps towards the end of the, those decades that, that that had escalated to the point where he was starting to download the abusive material that had been found. Um, but it came as a complete shock to us. And I think for me, one of the reasons why that was, I mean, obviously it was significant for lots of reasons, but I think prior to that, um, as I say, I'd been involved in kind of church work all my adult life. Um, and so I'd come across guys, for example, who'd struggled a bit with porn. Um, but it had always sort of been in that category as a bit of a discipleship issue, an unhelpful habit that they perhaps just needed a little bit of help to overcome. Um, I certainly hadn't seen porn as something that could be addictive, for example. And I, obviously, we understand a lot more now and, and, and research and, and uh, you know, our understanding has increased in, in the last 10, 15 years around yeah. this issue. But I, yeah, I just saw it as something that some people struggle with sometimes, I think would probably how I would have defined pornography. Certainly didn't see it as, as a, a world changing cause, didn't think it was something that was going to make a, uh, I wanted to give my life to. And yeah. even when everything that happened with my dad took place, it opened my eyes to the possibility of addiction. In, and, and like all addicts, my my dad had compartmentalized, I think, that part of his life. I think, like many addicts, he was aware how destructive uh, it was, but seemed powerless to, to do much about that. Um, and then, obviously, once that spiraled into to that abusive behavior, um, it, you know, I, I think that any chance of him even reaching out for help had went then, you know. I think mm. potentially if he'd, he'd asked for help earlier, you know, when it when it was something he was struggling with, but it was still legal and mainstream content. Who knows what could have happened? Um, and I think part of my thinking, uh, you know, years later, um, what was that? You know, what would it have taken for my dad to get help? You know, when when he when when it was legal, when it was mainstream, what 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 did he need at that moment? But I'll also be really really honest. I I kind of didn't want anything to do with pornography it was it was it was a painful subject um yeah. but the the second thing that happened in that year of 2007 you'll be really familiar with which was a guy wearing a black turtleneck jumper stood on a stage in california and kind of held this thing up in the air that no one had seen before saying today apple is going to reinvent the phone and the iphone was launched in the same mm. year and of course that was a game changer uh for for many uh but it was certainly a game changer for the porn industry the shift from the sex shop to the smartphone meant that this is the first generation with any time anywhere access to unregulated uh content certainly um uh that Men, I mean, you you'll you'll be familiar with the stats, but um, I remember 
reading recently, a couple of weeks ago, that here in the in the UK, um, uh, there was a, a survey done by a kind of government commissioned organisation called Ofcom. Uh, and they said that during um, lockdown in September 2020, 49% of UK adults viewed pornography. So nearly wow. 50% of UK adults were now, I'm not, I'm not convinced 50% of UK adults would have gone into a sex shop, but because they could look at it on their phone, because right. it was accessible uh, and potentially anonymous as well, uh, in a way it's never been before, um, I think that has seen a huge change in, in the way that culture deals with and interacts with uh, pornography. And, and at the time, I was really involved in youth work, uh, and so in particular, I was aware that Growing up as a teenager, if I wanted to look at porn, I had to convince some shopkeeper in a in a <laughs> in a shop that I was 18, you know, and they'd take one look at me and go, I don't think so. Uh, and and of course we know that's that's not the case. Uh, with certainly again in the UK, age verification is minimal. You normally have to tick a box. You, you just click you know, a button. Sites, yeah. you know, the kind of uh, tube sites, user gen generated sites, uh, 44 billion hits. Um, in, in one year to, to Pornhub. And as we know, all you've got to do is tick a box that says, yes, I am over 18. <laughs> uh, so we, we um, I think, have seen a huge change. We're probably not even aware how dramatic that change is, actually. Um, and so it came maybe a few years after my dad's arrest. He actually died about 12 months after his arrest. Um, wow. And uh, I, I'd begun to kind of pray and, and I was in a kind of place where I was seeking God about some steps for my life and what to do next. And actually, I, I was reading um, the book of Proverbs and there's this chapter in, in Proverbs where there are two characters. One character is called wisdom and one is called folly. And they kind of turn up in the first nine chapters of Proverbs quite a bit. And um, in, this, in this chapter nine, it talks about how wisdom, this character, uh, she has prepared this meal and it's a banquet and it's the best and it's symbolic of basically life to the full. In fact, Jesus picks up the analogy himself uh, in some of his stories and, and talks about a banquet and a feast. And, and it, it is this idea of just connection with God and yourself and with others and an abundant life with God. Uh, and so she's pretty much inviting everyone. And it says that she went to the highest part of the city where everyone could see and hear her and says, come to my house. You know, it's a bit down the road, but I've got this amazing feast waiting for you. And I remember reading this and on this retreat. And I'm, I remember actually just really asking God, God, what does it take for me as someone who's trying to uh, be your your presence and your voice in my community. What does it take for me to go to that highest place in the city? You know, what are the what are the places? What does that look like? Is that how how do we do that as church? And all these, I remember praying quite a bit about it for quite a while. Um, and then I carry on reading Proverbs nine after you know my kind of passionate God time, um, and I <laughs> I get to this bit at the end of Proverbs nine where it talks about the second character folly. And it says this, it says, Folly lives in the highest place in the city and she sits on the steps of her house and she calls out to everybody walking past and she says, come into my house because food eaten in secret is delicious and stolen water is sweet. And then it just ends with, but what her guests do not know 
is that in our house is the realm of death. And uh, I remember reading that, and I'd probably read it a number of times before, but in that moment, I really felt that God sort of used those words to help me understand the, 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 the power and the pull that pornography has on, on people. And, and I was thinking about my dad in particular at that time. And just even if you unpack what Folly says, you know, first of all, I mean, there was just the point where you, you're, I've just spent an hour asking God, how do, how do I, you know, symbolically, metaphorically, how do we go to the highest place in the city, place of influence where we can be seen and heard and bring good news to that place? And then you find out, ah, yeah, Folly lives here. This is her turf. She's already there. And then you hear about 44 billion hits in, in uh, one year. And you go, ah, yeah, okay, pornography is absolutely the king of, of this new digital city. Um, you know, and, and then you hear the invitation. Um, come into my house because stolen water is sweet. And you think, yeah, well, we know that. We know the intimacy that has been stolen and then presented as a product to be consumed. Uh, but also food eaten in secret is delicious. And how many of us know that too resonates with, with the power and the pull of pornography. But then this whole bait and switch that you see, you know, that actually it just leads to death. I mean, yeah. when my dad was arrested, uh, the police reported in at his trial that he said when they came to arrest him, my life's over, isn't it? Um, hmm. And... And it was in loads of ways, in different ways, his life was over. Um, and so even though that death may not just be a spiritual or a literal thing, it, it, it's just a, we lose so much. We get robbed of so much but because of porn use and porn addiction in particular. Um, and so uh, that's a very long way of answering a, a very short question, but that, that, <laughs> Those, in, those things, the, the, me understanding what was happening culturally and how that change was taking place was, was a huge reason why I started Naked Truth. I realized this isn't just, you know, people on the fringes anymore. You know, it's not men in dirty Macs going into sex shops. It's anyone who owns a product made by Mac or Samsung. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, yeah. this is different to what it's been when I was a teenager uh, and growing up as an adult. Then I think just the awareness of of how deep porn the damage of porn can go because yeah. of my dad and 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 then just as as i say god beginning just to say okay there is good news there is good news for everyone there's hope healing there's a banquet that people can be invited to but we sometimes have to 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 make the invite to the good thing we have to address the folly as well yeah uh, and that was the beginning of me actually saying actually by removing this there's an opportunity then for people to discover what's good and what God has on offer and for, for them. Yeah, it's amazing. Very well said. And I could not be more thrilled that you use a Proverbs analogy. It's my favorite book of the Bible. And um, <laughs> I have like studied those first eight, nine chapters inside out for those exact reasons you mentioned. So um, that was a neat little bonus. But um, <laughs> I guess one thing I, I'd love to hear you talk about uh, just a little bit, Ian, is like, I can see how the experience with your dad is, uh, you know, particularly compelling. Like it kind of, it hits home and just makes you realize, wow, there's, there's literally nobody who is pardoned from the temptations that come, especially in a digital world, as you, as you've mentioned. Um, so I can see how that would be really compelling. And it's like, yeah, let's do something about this. I want to make sure that, you know, that we're making a difference here and that other people aren't experiencing what I experienced because it's so terrible. 
And I guess at this, at the same time, like you had mentioned, your dad passed away 12 months later. Um, how did you tease apart sort of the grief and the pain that was also wrapped into this situation that had kind of, you know, caused the origins of the Naked Truth Project? What, what was that like? Yeah, what, what a great question. Um, I mean, for me, um, again, uh, I, I know some of your listeners uh, will have faith and, and they will resonate with some of this. Maybe some don't yet or, you know, that's just not where they're at. And so... Uh, this may be more difficult to to connect with or understand. I I personally didn't um, have um, therapy or counselling. Um, I I'm really for those things, and part of what we offer at Naked Truth is is you know professional clinical support. I, but actually, for me, it it, it was a it was probably more of a, a spiritual journey that I went on, and something where God. Um, brought brought clarity and healing and restoration um for, for me i mean there's there's still work to be done i'm sure i think for me the first step was around forgiveness and um just having to forgive my dad uh for the terrible things he had done and the things yeah. he hadn't done um and um but but also then um yeah just just an ongoing thing of allowing allowing god to walk with me through pain um and and walk through pain and disappointment and hurt and and confusion and and grief and uh you know again as guys i don't know um there aren't always loads of tools for guys to to lament well <laughs> or to to yeah process pain we're quite good at kind of saying right let's you know let's move on um yeah. and um, i'm probably my personality type would be one that i don't dwell on a lot emotionally uh i'm, I'm I, I would lean into wanting to move on let's fix yeah. something let's let's find a solution and and again as you say naked truth i guess in some ways has been a, a bit of a response of okay let's make something good out of this rubbish um yeah. but if you if you ignore it uh, and you don't acknowledge the rubbish as well and acknowledge the the pain that um, has been caused, I think that that becomes problematic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as I say, there was a number of years really where there was no response, certainly nothing positive. You know, I, I certainly, um, and, and I know that's the same for you with, with, with Deep Clean, you were saying, you know, it, it, it took you, you deliberately waited actually before kind of going into, kind of let's do something to to help others uh you know you you wanted to kind of make sure that that your own journey and your own healing had, had taken place and i mm -hmm. think that is right and healthy and and i think probably a similar thing happened there for for me i, I we see that a lot actually with uh people in recovery you know i think it's a natural instinct isn't it to to want to help that help others and try and bring change um, and I think that's so good and so helpful. Um, but I think the timing is really, really important. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, I think it's, I, mean, I think there are things you can do quickly, but, but equally, I think there's some real wisdom, uh, to in holding off and yeah. waiting and, and making sure that you do journey through 
some of the some of the hurt and the disappointment and the pain stuff otherwise the doing something can is, is actually just trying to cover up some of the work you haven't done yet yeah yeah would you really agree? Well said. oh i would totally agree yeah yeah and i i mean i definitely resonate even just being the personality type who's very sometimes too quick to move on right like i certainly have to remind myself sometimes to okay it's okay to sit in this it's okay to process it they're just feelings they're not scary um, yeah. and, you know, give yourself that space. So I totally agree. And, you know, I think your approach speaks to the longevity of the Naked Truth Project, like it's seven years later and you guys are going strong. And, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you you're really focused or at least you're partially focused on just the awareness, just raising awareness of the harmful effects of pornography. And I think our North American equivalent would probably be fight the new drug, which has mm -hmm. really, um, you know, made that their mission as well. Um, I just, I'm just curious, you know, when you guys are going into schools or you're going into these more secular environments where, yeah, pornography is kind of the norm, what, what's your pitch or what's your angle? How are you guys actually making people aware that porn is a problem? And part of the reason I'm asking is because um, I have people ask me that, you know, like, how do I get somebody to stop watching porn when they don't think it's a problem? And it's yeah. like, well, you you can't get them to stop watching if they don't think it's a problem. You have to first deal with the fact that that they think it's okay and maybe make them aware of, of some of the harmful effects. Um, mm. So what what does that pitch look like for the Naked Truth Project? How do you guys handle that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably have two responses to that and both in terms of content, what we look to say, but also how we say it, I think is really important. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the decisions... Uh, I made early on with Naked Truth is um, I kind of wanted to be able to challenge the, the status quo, the perceived norm that porn, what's the big deal? What's the problem? Um, but again, in the UK, we had a little bit of a history um, uh, with actually some really beautiful, great people uh, back in the sort of 70s, 60s and 70s, who did a lot of campaigning around kind of things like um, snuff videos and things like that. And uh, where- What's a snuff just, video? Just, Can you just uh, clarify the term? Of course. Uh, so there was a whole kind of time in the eighties and uh, there was this thing where people, VHS videos of kind of violent people being killed ah, and, and okay. stuff. And you weren't sure whether it was a real thing or whether it was kind of deliberately realistic. And it was, uh, so there was some campaigning around that, but also just things like language and sex on TV and just some of that stuff. Now, beautiful people, and actually a lot of Christians were part of this, um, mm. but but the approach was one of um, lobbying MPs and, and kind of looking for change in law, which again, I would endorse, but, and also um, kind of like placards and, you know, protests. And, um, Interestingly, although I think all those things are valuable, um, it wasn't it wasn't the, the approach or the tone of voice I felt would be most effective in this this season. Yeah. Um, I, and I think it, I think just particularly for millennials, for example, I think, you know, you just start shouting and uh, and you're just perceived as angry and moralistic and yeah. uh, and because we are a faith organization that would just make the people just make assumptions then oh yeah of course you're christians of course you're going to hate porn um and and so actually we we felt that to actually have a conversation where people were willing to 
to think about it and reflect, uh, we probably needed a slightly different approach. So yes. for us, for example, um, using the creative arts were, was part of our answer. Because I think if you, uh, if you go and see a film or a play or even a piece of, you know, a painting or a piece of music or spoken word, uh, that can sometimes be super challenging. You know, I've seen films that are really, really challenging, even documentaries or whatever, um, you know, that are very kind of, take, take, take the environment, for example, we all like the way we live our lives because it's comfortable. So for something to challenge the way you're living your life to say, actually, you need to stop using this because the, the goal, the bigger goal for the environment is stop living this way. That's a really difficult thing to do. Um, and, and so the, the, I think the documentaries that do that really well um, mm -hmm. are those that bring in a, a mixture of story and science, but, but also often creativity where you're kind of going, okay, I'm ready to reflect. I'm, I'm open to kind of being challenged. And, and, and so I've seen some, some plays around that's kind of probably the agenda is, you know, environment or climate change or something. But because it used narrative, because it was done in a creative way, I didn't feel like someone was kind of shouting at me, you know, uh, about climate change. And so actually in that yeah. sense, I was able to reflect slightly differently and maybe was a little bit more open. Um, and, and I think that for me has been a question of how do we particularly, as you say, um, when you're talking to people where porn is normalized, how do we begin to, to just provoke and challenge? And so the arts has been part of that. So our cool. joint friend, Joshua Luke Smith, would be an example of, he's a poet, a spoken word artist, him yeah. telling his story, which I think is another really powerful way that you engage people uh, who think something's okay, uh, is, is, you know, well, okay, that's fine, but let me tell you my story. Um, mm. Uh, but also, yeah, just kind of using the arts, uh, I think, has been a really important part of it. Then, and then I think there are some common grounds in terms of what, in terms of what we say, where I think even if you think porn's all right, <laughs> you probably don't think exploitation or coercion is all right. So the fact that right. we are seeing increased evidence of that within the porn industry, for example, there's a common ground there. You know, I find it fascinating that like feminist movements and faith movements are kind of, you know, sharing a, a concern around violence against women um, and some of the links now that are being made um, between kind of increased in porn consumption and increase in sexual harassment uh, and even kind of uh, violence against women. Now there's research being done around that in the UK, for example. So when we're in a school, we'll, we'll talk about those links because A, there's, there's some evidence-based conversation there that's helpful, but, but actually you, you know, you might have a different value system to me in terms of whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, or we may have some different ethical views on different things, but we probably right. agreed that violence against women or exploitation of people within the industry. These are, these are areas where people are going to go, okay, I agree. They just don't know. Most, yeah. most young, most 17 year olds are not making a link between the kind of, materials maybe that they're watching and then what it feels like to be have a, as a girl have a guy 
talk to them or treat them in a certain way because they've learned that behavior from, from the porn they've been consuming. And, mm. and, and so even having that conversation with both boys and girls and saying, listen, guys, you think you're learning how to be better at this. And actually what it's doing is it's conditioning you to be more selfish, more, uh, you know, your own needs are being met as your priority because porn conditions you to, to yep. basically just get what you want. Um, yep. and, and so we, we kind of see that as, as a manual, you know, loads of young men thinking this is a manual. I'm going to learn how to be a better lover. And actually <laughs> you're learning how to potentially be, you know, misogynistic and at worst and selfish at best uh, yeah. when yeah. it comes to sex and relationships. So even those kind of conversations um, can, can be a really helpful way of, of bringing up this, this issue with people. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't know if that answers the question well. Oh yeah. More than well. Yeah. Really good. I think it's, um, it's important to note that, right? Like, um, if you take apart the the moral aspect of this, which, you know, people of faith are going to resonate with, but even that aside, there are so many reasons why we should not be watching pornography. And um, I think you mentioned it earlier, like 10 to 15 years ago, we didn't know that. Like, we kind of knew it intrinsically, but we didn't have the evidence or the empirical data to really support it. And, you know, thank God that we're making some progress there. Uh, I guess the other thing I'm sort of curious about is why why is it that in the UK people need that kind of convincing? And I imagine it's probably for similar reasons uh, that, you know, that's the situation in Canada as well. We are um, like the post-Christian kind of world here and mm -hmm. um, morals are, are really, I would say, being challenged and reformed. And, you know, I did a, like a survey recently. I, I'm, I'm writing a book and um, I was experimenting with a few different titles. And so I, I paid this company to sort of um, run a survey with a bunch of candidates of you know certain demographics and whatever, and they mm -hmm. rank your titles and they explain why they ranked. And one person had written back and said, um, you know, here's my ranking, but personally, I think this book shouldn't be written because I don't see what the problem with porn is. You know, something sure. to that effect. And that person represents a a majority of people who are there. What like, do you know what why that is? Is it just that you know that Christian Christianity has been sort of weaned out of the the society or you know why is it that people are so like okay with pornography um i know there's one there's one stat or one research study by barna group and they interviewed i, I believe it was adolescents i don't remember all the specifics but adolescents had ranked uh, not recycling as more dangerous than watching pornography and um and so you know it's an interesting state of affairs that we're in do you have any are there any other things that that are contributing to people just being so comfortable with something that that we see as so terribly wrong? Yeah, it's a great thought, isn't it? That um, and and obviously it's a really complicated question because I think because porn is so tied into just our our sexual ethics more broadly. So you know, yep. in in the in the minds of of most people, porn porn use isn't a different thing to actually sleeping with somebody, uh, you know, going out, hooking up with people, what, all, all that stuff. It's all kind of like one big thing really. And, and again, I think that's where perhaps even in Christian world, we separate that. So, so hmm. again, the faith groups might go, well, you know, I might be looking at porn, but I'm not, I'm not actually going out and hooking up with anybody. So surely that that's better than that. Whereas, um, 
I don't think those those kind of that there's just no demarcation. I think in the in the minds of of most people. And I, and I mean, I a potted history. I think of the UK would be. Um, I think post-war, post-Second World War, there, there was a, a general questioning around faith uh, and God um, and kind of church attendance started to, to really drop uh, from, from the kind of 1950s. Um, then, of course, came in the 60s, the sexual revolution, which was right. part of that was this idea of, well, your parents, you know, these were the values that your parents had uh and and actually you know your you know teenagers were invented in the 60s 50s and 60s so as, as and actually just as a, a whole group of people to market new stuff to <laughs> but but actually with that came this this idea of well you are different you are you're not like your mum you know so before the 60s it was kind of like daughters wanted to be like their mothers then after the 60s, mothers wanted to be like their daughters because <laughs> like the, way, the way that marketing and, and advertising and everything else was pitching everything was towards young people. They were, the, they were the prime group. And so to be different from your parents was this kind of conditioned goal, which mm. included some of the values, some of the, some of the old fashioned ideas about <laughs> sex and about marriage and about uh, everything else. And, and then of course there would, there'd be other contributing factors. Um, but, but I think now we're in a situation where, for example, a church leader said to me uh, that he has the local school, primary school. So that would be uh, kind of the seven to 11 year old children. Um, you know, little 10 year olds would come and visit the church and have a little walk around and have a tour and, you know, old traditional old fashioned, you know, 400 year old buildings. So kind of this is, you know, this is where the font goes, where all the babies used to get baptized and all that sort of thing. Uh, and so these kids are walking around this church building and in, in the church building, there is a stained glass window of Jesus on, you know, on the cross. Uh, again, just sort of think you're a really old classic English church building. And one little 10 year old lad has stopped and he's staring at this window. And so the, the church leader, the vicar, as they're called here in the UK, he went up to uh, this little boy thinking, I wonder if there's something going on here. There's a little spiritual encounter happening. So he goes and stands next to this boy staring at Jesus on in this window. And uh, the boy looks at the vicar and he says, who's that man on the wall? Had no idea who it was. Wow. And, and for the church leader, it was really indicative of, of I guess, what's happened in our, in our nation of, because his parents never went to church. Probably his grandparents had never been to church. So now you kind of have a third generation child who hasn't been to church and just didn't recognize the picture of Jesus, you know, um, probably just yeah. wasn't paying attention when they did Jesus at school <laughs> for that week. Um, you know, it was just a really key thing um, to understand, I think, where our, our, as a nation, kind of our understanding around things of faith are. Now, some people will go, well, good at last you know it's a level playing sure. field um and and to some extent i i agree in the sense of saying um i i, I want 
every young person and adult to make an informed decision about faith. I want them not to just say they believe because that's what their parents told them. I want them to be able to believe something that they've thought through and, and experienced and, and kind of considered for themselves. But yeah. at the moment, there's probably an absence. So it's not just that there is uh, it's a level playing field. I, I would argue that actually there's a vacuum when it comes to things of faith. And particularly then some of the ethics and some of the kind of stuff that's connected to faith and Christianity has mm. kind of been rejected alongside the faith. So I think in our culture, it's almost like, well, sex before marriage, you know, sexual purity, you know, those kind of words, it's all kind of like baked into whether you believe in God or not. So if you're someone who says, I don't believe in God and your parents have never believed in God, right. then you probably just go, well, that's not relevant to me yeah, uh, because that goes up. along with the old, the old fashioned stuff that we rejected in the sixties. So uh, that's a really kind of un uneducated sociology lesson. I'm not in any way uh, <laughs> trained to, that's just my, some of my kind of thinking around it. But I think that's for the UK, that's yeah. a massive part of the issue is that stuff like porn, sex, sex for marriage, some, some of those issues that are really, you know, Christians would hold quite as, as these are really important when it comes to this area. Yeah. Other people are like, don't even think about it. Yeah. But the reason I don't think about it is because I don't think about god they don't think about jesus who cares you know um if if you don't even think there's a god you know you think you're just a bunch of chemicals bashing around um yeah. you know if you're a materialist in a way why would you care about porn if yeah. you just you know you're just you're just fulfilling just chemical reactions in your brain um and that's why it's really interesting because you could talk to somebody and and they might what's really interesting is they'd go oh, i'm just following my urges if i'm hungry i eat if i'm thirsty i drink if i'm you know feel sexy i watch some porn or whatever it is and yeah. and it's kind of in that in that area but uh, and they'll say, and you say well why do you kind of do you not feel there's anything more and they're like no 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 we're just chemicals we're just we're just that's all we are and i'm i'm just responding to that but then you kind of say, do you want to be in a relationship with someone? And they go, yeah, yeah, I think there's a one for me out there, you know, and fate's got someone waiting for me. And you're going, whoa, okay, yeah. these two ideas don't match. Interesting, uh, you're, yeah. in, you're a materialist who thinks you, it's all chemical reactions or you kind of think there's, you know, a one. I mean, where's that coming from? Yeah. So we're, actually the reality is culturally, there's just this hodgepodge of ideas, you know, some of that's very sign science-based some that's much more kind of disney-based um and it all kind of gets merged together into something that that people just kind of take take and just can receive but don't necessarily question yeah um yeah yeah i've waffled a little there sorry <laughs> you can edit <laughs> no that's fine man that's fine it's all good it's all good um we're, we are running out of time and i do want to respect your time but um you have a conference coming up and you guys offer a, a plethora of resources for guys out there. So, Ian, can you just tell us about some of the things you have going on and how our audience can connect with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned the conference. So we do have this conference coming up in September 28th to the 30th of September. It's an online event. We have at the moment around 40 uh, different speakers who are going to bring um, different levels of specialism and expertise. So people like yourself who are kind of experts in recovery uh, and maybe some of that kind of counseling and clinical side of things, uh, all the way through to people who are very much involved in the education side of things, justice, uh, social change, law change, legislation. We've, we've got a few people um, who are very much speaking into what does it mean for us as a church to talk about this and tackle this issue well? And that's yeah. really the theme of the conference. So it's called the P Word Conference. And we really want it to be for church leaders and church members that, that are saying we need to talk about this. Now, 93% of church leaders acknowledged in a survey that porn was a bigger problem than ever before in their congregations. Yet that yeah. same group, only 7% had any kind of program in place or even knew what to signpost people to uh and and so there is a gap i think in our church at the moment between the need and people feeling equipped to meet the need and so we really hope this event will equip you if you're a small group leader if you're a senior leader or you're just an activist and someone who cares about this issue uh i think there would be some really beautiful helpful things for for people to engage with so p word conference people can get Tickets online at pwordconference.com. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, probably the other thing to mention is we do have some recovery programs. Um, and so the best way that people can find out about those is to go to nakedtruthrecovery.com. And we have programs, as I mentioned before, for individuals who are trying to find freedom in their own life from porn use, but also for partners um, and, and spouses. All our programs are partner sensitive. So even the work that we do with porn users is, I guess, one of our, our, our kind of our core values would be how, how can you find freedom in a way that is partner sensitive if, if you're in a relationship with someone? Um, okay. But as I say, there's kind of specific support for partners as well. Um, and we mentioned Proverbs earlier. So let me mention one final thing. Please. If people yeah. have got... Um, the U version Bible app on their phone. We've done a couple of plans on there, um, but oh, one cool. is called Pornhub versus Proverbs, um, and uh, <laughs> kind of unpacks some of those different verses to the one I mentioned actually in Proverbs four. Some of the verses in Proverbs four, uh, and so yeah, people might obviously that's completely free. People might want to kind of do a little bit of journey, and we have another one called Control Alt Delete as well, which is on the U version app, which is about how do you reboot and restart your your Amazing. life using scripture as part of that so that's maybe something else for people to check out no it's amazing ian thank you so much for uh just what you're doing man and uh i don't i don't remember if i said it on uh, well we recorded her before but i was so thrilled to see that there's an organization like you guys in the uk because you know we have a, a handful of clients from the uk and um and some listeners from the uk as well and i know the thing i hear over and over again is just the the lack of resources, you know, there's just no one's talking about it and really extending a hand sure. to people who are in need. So you're doing an incredible work, man. Thanks again. Uh, this has been really rich. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you for inviting me. Really looking forward to uh, getting to know you a little better as well. It's been great to connect with you for the first time today. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, Ian. Okay, well, that was my interview with Ian from the Naked Truth Project. And oh, man, he's such a good guy. You can just you can just tell he's very sincere and 
really passionate about what he does. And, you know, after we hit record, he was like, hey, I, I know I kind of ranted a little bit. Uh, I hope I hope it's OK. Or if you need to trim it down, just go for it. And I was like, you know what, to be honest, I love the passion. I just I love that he is so um excited about what he's doing. He's obviously a wealth of knowledge and it was really fun hearing his story. Um, and I, we didn't mention this outrightly on the podcast either, but uh, but after the interview, he, he kind of said like, hey, I'd love to actually have you come speak at the conference. And so I'm going to be one of the 40 some speakers that they have. And, um, and it's kind of geared towards uh, leaders, or at least my talk is geared towards leaders, pastors, uh, that kind of thing. So um, if you're interested, I really encourage you to go check out the conference. I think one of the, the benefits of the pandemic is that it has allowed us to just attend conferences virtually uh, a little bit more normally. You know, it just it's kind of more standard. It's not like some added feature to an event. This is just like a part of it now. And so here you have this organization in the UK. If you wanted to go normally, you know, you'd be paying money for flights and hotels and food and all that. Um, instead, it's just a virtual pass. It's very affordable. And you get the same content, the same speakers and a similar experience. Maybe not quite the same, but still worthwhile and still something that's going to help you get educated. If you are a clinician or a practitioner or a pastor, um, and it's going to help you get free if you're a guy who's looking to experience greater levels of freedom in your recovery journey. So I highly encourage you to check it out. All the links are in the show notes. Guys, thanks so much for listening today. I'm cheering you on. And I hope that today's episode has helped you lead with confidence and integrity. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.